Thank you for listening to Cool Explorations. I'm your host, Tony Peters. Today we're going to be focusing on Matthew 15, 21 to 28. Uh, and that reads, Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He, cried, he replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat crumbs, uh, eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. When Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Although the gospel message was uh, one of hope and salvation, and it went first to the Jewish nation, it doesn't stop at there. It, it goes out to all nations. God loves everyone, whether Jew or Gentile. God pursues a relationship with everyone, and he wants us all to follow him. And in order to accomplish that, he has chosen us to share the message of hope with those around us. What an honor. In John 6, 48-51, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers are the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. There is room at the table in God's kingdom for all who place their faith in trust in Jesus Christ. The bread of eternal life and all who partake in the bread of life will live forever. And even if the master's plan for seating arrangements might follow a particular order, a mark of saving grace in Jesus Christ is trusting that the master's plan is good and right. God has chosen that we should all come to eat and live with him forever. Jesus Christ is our bread. He sustains us. He wants us all to follow him. This is a choice we all must make. A simple choice. Follow our triune God or reject God. When the Canaanite woman comes and approaches Jesus in this particular passage, we see she's not asking for something for herself. She's asking for something for her daughter. She wants her daughter to be free of suffering, to be free of the demons that have possessed her. And we see that her faith is so great that Jesus simply says, your request is granted and the daughter is healed. This is an important section. Uh, it's the middle section of Matthew uh, and begins in 15.1 and ends in 16.12. Uh, thematically, this large section of text begins and ends with a conflict between Jesus and different groups of Jewish leaders like bookends. And these conflicts end with Jesus harshly rejecting the teaching of these Jewish leaders. But in between these contentious encounters, Jesus departs from the land of Israel into two different Gentile territories, where in striking contrast with the Jewish leaders, 
both this Gentile woman as well as a large, predominantly Gentile crowd responding faithfully and enthusiastically to his message. To get a sense of the contrast, we can take a look at the conflict that precedes Matthew 15, 21 to 28. Beginning with verse 1 of chapter 15, Jesus is in the region of the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, and the Pharisees and scribes come to him where uh, there from Jerusalem. And what follows in verse 2 is an accusation against Jesus by these leaders that Jesus' disciples break the tradition of the elders, for they do not wash their hands when they eat. Jesus then counters in verses 3 to 6 by pointing out that these elders also have a tradition that effectively nullifies God's commandment to honor your mother and father, culminating in his condemnation of them as hypocrites. In verses 7 to 9, they worship God in vain because they are teaching as doctrines the commandments of men, not the commandments of God. And as if that wasn't enough, Jesus then publicly humiliates these leaders by pointing out to the surrounding crowd the stupidity of the elders' traditions uh, of hand-washing before meals in verses 10 to 11. It's the kind of straightforward, no-nonsense, tongue-lashing that might make one uncomfortable if you were a follower of Jesus, raised to respect the authority of these religious leaders. Uh, and you see this in verse 12, where Matthew writes, Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? They are more concerned about offending these leaders. Uh, but Jesus' response to them in verses that follow, uh, as well as his response to them in very similar encounters in Matthew 16, uh, the other bookend, and it is most, they are most concerned with these traditions and respecting the elders, but Jesus is most concerned with his disciples' lingering desire to align their hearts and minds with the teachings of religious leaders who have rejected their Lord King and Messiah. There are two masters here. One brings the commandments of God and another who brings the commandments of men. You can't serve two masters. And so, as we take a look at this in the text, Jesus is concerned about the ambivalence of his disciples. And we need to take a look at this encounter with the understanding that Jesus is addressing two audiences. Disciples who are still somewhat stuck in their allegiance to Israel's leaders, whom Jesus calls blind guides in verses 14, in verse 14 of chapter 15, and a Gentile Canaanite woman who is just what the doctor ordered as a model of great faith, assuming that Jesus came to always do the Father's will. Our text begins in verse 21 with a deliberate and purposeful movement out of the land of Israel and into Gentile territory. We can consider this in the broader context, and now it's time to consider number two, which is the contact. Uh, when we take a look at this, we can see exactly 
what God has in store and in mind here. When following Jesus Christ, we must be careful not to fall into hypocrisy. We follow Jesus Christ and the commands of God. We cannot serve the flesh or worldly things and also follow Jesus Christ. To try to follow both is a trap we so often fall into, but the things of this world will serve only to distract from our life with Christ. Jesus makes this contact in verses 21 to 23, as Matthew writes, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the distant to the district of Tyre and Sidon, and behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word, and his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. Jesus is on the move in Matthew 15-16, to 16, and in our text, he's on the move to the district of Tyre and Sidon some 50 miles away from Jesus's previous location. This is a long distance to go for seemingly no reason. Matthew begins verse 22, and behold, communicating that what follows is highly unusual. You can imagine how unusual, perhaps surreal, it must have seemed to the disciples to see and hear a Gentile woman calling Jesus Lord and Son of David and Matthew refers to her as a Canaanite. This reference would have conjured up images in the mind of a faithful Jew of the wicked Gentile nations that God drove out of the land in order to bring his people into it. Matthew may be using this term to convey to the reader that the disciples held the spectacle of this Gentile woman calling on the Jewish Messiah somewhat in revulsion. You get a sense of this in verse 23 when they're begging Jesus to send her away as if it couldn't happen fast enough. But Jesus has remained silent, probably adding to the disciples' level of agitation. So what is happening here? Uh, we can take a look at this and see that Jesus' journey to this region wasn't random or pointless at all. Rather, it was for a profound purpose. Think again about the deep-seated concerns Jesus has about his disciples and the degree to which the Jewish religious leaders' traditions and commands had lingered with the disciples. Think about how Jesus verbally scourged these leaders for nullifying God's word in the process. What might what might the disciples be thinking as this annoying and unclean woman is hounding them like a dog? Perhaps they're thinking something like, if only the religious leaders saw us in Gentile territory, not only tolerating the presence of a Gentile woman, but also our master remaining silent and refusing to send her away. What would they think? What would they say? Uh, and perhaps they would say something like what Jesus says in verse 24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Think about how amazing this statement is in a variety of ways. First, it's true. This is Jesus' mission. As we'll see in the next few chapters, Jesus commissions his disciples 
to be the ones to take the Gospels to the Gentiles. But his mission as a man in his earthly ministry is, according to the Father's plan, to offer salvation to the lost sheep of Israel. Second, it's exactly what the disciples would expect and want to hear. Yes, Jesus way to tell her. The religious leaders clearly wouldn't be offended by that. Third, it indicates that the disciples were expecting him to heal her and then send her away. Jesus' objection in verse 24 only makes sense if the disciples were asking him to respond to her request so that she would go away, especially in light of the woman's immediate reaction to fall before him in verse 25. Jesus' silence followed by this ingenious response is deliberate and dramatic and intended to prompt a confession, which is the third C that we will take a look at here, from this woman that would serve as a matchless object lesson of God's salvation plan to those men who would ultimately play a leading part to carry out God's plan in the earthly church. This section really shows just how much Jesus and God know that we don't know, and we just need to trust their plan for they know exactly what they're doing. They have a purpose behind everything, and we just have to trust that purpose and follow our Lord and Savior and their plan and trust that they will lead us where we need to go. We can take note that this woman already demonstrated knowledge of God's plan in verse 22, referring to Jesus as Lord, Son of David, a title that conveyed an understanding of God's promise to bring the Messiah into the world as a descendant of David. She's appealing to Jesus for mercy on the basis of God's promises. But there needed to be more, uh, at least in the eyes of his disciples. This could be nothing more than an appeal to one of many gods by a desperate mother and a knowledgeable pagan. But as we'll see, the interaction in verses 25 to 28 illustrates that something genuine and extraordinary about this desperate mother the Canaanite woman's confession proves faithful in a multidimensional way, beginning with her posture. The woman assumed the posture of worship, but she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. Still referring to him as Lord, she knelt before him. The verb translated knelt means to express in gratitude or gesture as one's complete dependence on or submission to a high authority figure. It is used when a person assumes an attitude and posture of worship, and thus the New Living Translation translates verse 25, but she came and worshipped him. So now we have a desperate Gentile mom pleading for her daughter's healing, calling Jesus Lord and Son of David, and proving herself at a whole new level in the eyes of everyone by worshiping Jesus. So what would Jesus do? And what would the woman do next? The woman's faith rose to the challenge of a great test. 
Jesus' earlier statement, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, had spurred the woman to action. And his response to this desperate worshipping woman in verse 26 seems to be equally unkind as he replies to her cry for help. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And when we look at that, it really, it makes you, um, it would make you angry if you didn't read on and see that Jesus' statement had a purpose behind it. And first, dogs isn't derogatory here. It's the word used for small dogs who are kept as household pets, uh, a point that's made more evident in verse 27 when the woman notes these dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. The dogs are part of the household in Jesus' illustration, but they're not the children. When taken literally, it makes the obvious point that no good master would feed his children's bread to the household pets. In this illustration, Jesus is portraying the father as a master of a household with his children, the people of Israel. The bread is, as Jesus himself referred to himself, representative of God's salvation through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Finally, the dogs are the Gentiles, who will not be the first to partake of his salvation for the, the Jew first, a point Jesus demonstrated in Matthew 10 and here again in Matthew 15. Jesus has just fed this woman God's plan of salvation in a masterful way that can only be rightly responded to if she gets it. And what is her response? Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. The bread of life came into the world to the Jew first, but that doesn't mean all the nations of earth will be deprived. The woman's response is a profound expression of humble faith, precious in the sight of God. Notice she begins by saying, yes, Lord, yet even. <clears throat> Those two words, yet even, reveal immense wisdom and faith. She doesn't phrase her answer in some profound <clears throat> counterpunch or gotcha moment for the Lord. Rather, she submits to her place as the dog in the illustration and then affirms to the Lord the very exalted place among the redeemed that he himself promises to bring to the Gentiles in the scriptures. She knows God's plan, understands her place in it, and embraces it rather than dispute the mysterious ways of God's divine choice and purpose as unfair. Her faith and understanding proves to outstrip the faith and understanding of Jesus' disciples, likely to both their shame and ultimate learning, and it mocks the empty faith of the religious leaders of Israel, whom, as Jesus says in verse 13, will ultimately be uprooted by his heavenly Father. So where does Jesus' heart truly stand toward this faith, gentle, desperate, uh, faithful, gentle, desperate mother, not as the insensitive cad as many uninformed readers have often concluded from this passage. Rather, Jesus exalts the Canaanite woman's faith to a high place 
In verse 28, he responds with emotion and respect. O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. The term woman here is a term of respect. Jesus puts her on a plane of his commendation for her faith that only one other person in the Gospels receives, the Roman centurion in Matthew 8, who was also a Gentile. And so it appear, it bears repeating uh, that there is room at the table in God's kingdom for all who place their faith in trust in Jesus Christ, the bread of life, even if that bread is presented to the Jew first. In the mystery of his will, in bringing salvation to every tribe, tongue, and nation, the master's plan for seating arrangements follows a particular order and a mark of a mature faith in Jesus Christ is trusting that the master's plan is good and right. As Paul writes of it in Romans 11:33-34, he says, "O oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? He is a good father and with a good plan, like the Canaanite woman Faith trusts in that and embraces it. It's interesting how Jesus chooses to use the exchange with the Canaanite woman to illustrate our relationship with him. We can learn a lot about faith and striving to understand God's word from this small passage. Humbling ourselves to acknowledge that there are many things we do not understand or know but the determination to study and research to garner an understanding of what the Lord has to say through the Bible. Be willing to talk with religious leaders to learn from them and get directions from them. Also look for someone who can mentor and disciple you. Read the Bible and pray, always pray, spending time to allow the Lord to speak to you and then share that message with others so they too may know the hope and faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to Cool Explorations. In this segment, you've just heard us talk about the bread from the table section, uh, which comes from Matthew 15, 21 to 28. We're often so busy in our daily lives that we forget about our relationship with God, even though nothing is more important than our relationship with the Lord God, our Father, and His Son, Jesus Christ. Slow down and take time to pay attention to what the Lord is telling you, how the Holy Spirit is guiding you, and follow that direction. Be patient and slow down. Allow time for Christ in your life today. If you would like to reach me for any reason, you can do so at tpeters745 at gmail.com.